Lexicon Valley is brought to you by Blue Apron. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers right to your door everything you need to create a home-cooked meal. Farm-fresh ingredients are perfectly portioned and come with an easy-to-follow recipe card, so you can create a delicious dinner in 40 minutes or less. Visit blueapron.com lexicon to get your first two meals free. And by Headspace. If you've ever been curious about meditation, then go to headspace.com lexicon and try the Take 10 program. It's guided meditation for 10 days, 10 minutes a day, absolutely free. Give it a try at headspace.com slash lexicon. The following podcast contains explicit language. From Washington, D.C., this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm Bob Garfield with Mike Volo, and today, episode number 84, titled The Black Scent, wherein we discuss what it means to sound black. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Bobby. How you doing, buddy? Splendid. Thank you. And your own self? I'm great. I'm great. So, Bob, bear with me for a minute or two, because what we're going to talk about today is not necessarily apparent from where I'm going to start. And where I'm going to start is the O.J. Simpson trial. I mean, I, actually, I was thinking it would be Sacco and Vincetti, but, you know, whatever. Well, I'm not going to go that far back. So, for better or worse, that murder trial from a little over 20 years ago has been back in the public consciousness recently because of a television show that reenacted, from what I understand, I haven't seen it, reenacted the discovery of the bodies of Nicole Brown Simpson, OJ's ex-wife, and her friend Ron Goldman, and then the subsequent very sensational courtroom drama that played out. The show was on FX. It was called The People versus OJ Simpson. Now, there's a moment in the trial when one of the prosecutors, Chris Darden, is questioning a witness who allegedly heard people arguing where the murders took place, before the murders took place. Those people were presumably OJ and Nicole and Ron. Chris Darden says to this particular witness, quote, the second voice you heard sounded like the voice of a black man. Is that correct? Now, at this point, one of OJ's attorneys, the late Johnny Cochran, angrily objected, and said the following. This statement about whether somebody sounds black or white is racist, and I resent it, and that's why I stood and objected. And I think it's totally improper. In America, at this time, in 1995, we have to hear this and endure this. Yeah, such a genius move. Such a genius move, because he knows that he is tapping right into the psyche of that jury. Now, as it turns out, the linguist, John McWhorter, he's a linguist who teaches at my grad school alma mater, Columbia University, he wrote a piece recently about this very notion of sounding black or not sounding black. He wrote, quote, the dominant conception is that only racism could create the impression that black people have a particular way of speaking. That's certainly what Johnny Cochran was suggesting. Uh, McWhorter goes on, the assumption roughly is that educated black people talk just like educated white people, while less educated black people usually, but not always, speak a combination of Southern English and bad grammar. There is little room in our public discourse for the reality, which is that one, almost all black people code switch between standard and black English to varying degrees. Two, 
Even the most educated black people typically talk with vowel colorings and a general cadence that most Americans readily hear as black after a few sentences. And three, there isn't a thing wrong with that. Yeah, this is a a linguistic question that is utterly explosive. I've read his piece and it's fascinating, disturbing, enlightening, you know, all the above. So get him on this show. (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of ideas there just in those few sentences I read and a lot more in the rest of his piece. So let's tease this out with John, who joins us from our studio in New York. Hey, John, how are you? Hi, Mike. I am fine. The semester is ending, and so I'm able to start actually having consecutive thoughts, such as today. (laughs) Great. So the opening premise of your piece is that you're a black man who sounds white. This is something that many people, both black and white, have either explicitly told you or have insinuated your whole life. So let's just stipulate that you do sound white, and we'll get back to that point later. Well, you know, there are people who tell me that I do sound black, and I'm open to it. I frankly (laughs) wish that I did. But I think when most people say that I sound black, what they mean is that I have a deep voice, because there's a myth out there that black men have deeper voices. But I think if you took that out of it, I would say that based on my 50 years experience with all sorts of things that have been said and not said, I think it's pretty clear that I'm a pretty white-sounding guy. Okay, so that implies that there's some way that we expect you to sound that is something other than white. Let's call that sounding black. What is this black sound that we're talking about exactly? Because we're not talking about slang or even grammar, right? You can generally tell whether somebody is white or black, even if they're just reading from the phone book. And so it's not about slang. And although there is a black English grammar, a black person cannot use that at all. And yet I think any American knows, and I think many of us are taught to feel guilty about it or to suppose that there's something racist about saying it, but any American knows in their heart of hearts that there is a such thing as a black voice. And many studies have shown that Americans are very, very good at identifying after often just a few syllables, whether one is white or black. So yeah, there is a black sound. Now, we should observe here, John, that what you've just stipulated as an acknowledged fact is at the same time a practically unutterable assertion. It's deemed a racist remark. So you're in this, as a linguist, in this very particular position of being able to speak authoritatively the fact that dare not pass from anybody's lips. It's uh, it's a weird one. It is, and I think part of the reason that I am letting it pass from my lips is because as a linguist, I'm trained to look at language objectively. And so I'm more likely to admit to myself that there is that difference that I perceive in white versus black voices. And then also, the reason that people are so hesitant about saying that there's a such thing as a black voice when, frankly, the fact is so obvious, is that so often when you're saying something about black people, it is disparaging. There is a great deal of racism out there. And so you tense up when you hear black voice talked about because you're thinking that 
pretty soon there's going to be some sort of criticism as to what the black voice is or what the black voice is saying. Not to mention that black English in general is associated with not being grammatically correct. And that's a whole other argument. It's, it's a ridiculous notion that anybody speaks grammatically incorrectly. Black English is different, not lesser. But the point is, when we think about black speech, we think about these supposed errors. So it's very hard to pull yourself back from this notion of black voice and just face the fact. And it's probably a little easier for me because given the fact that I don't happen to have that sound, I have one foot in and one foot out. So I don't feel like I'm talking about myself the way I think some black people would if they were talking about the black voice. And if that weren't complicated enough, John, there's the question of how your lack of black voice is perceived not to a white audience, but to a black audience. And it is so fraught and so complicated that just having written what you've written, whether, I don't know if it was cathartic or not, but probably put a B in a few bonnets. But before we get to that, I want to get back to this black sound. What characterizes it linguistically or phonetically? Sure. The things that constitute this black sound are tiny little shadings of vowels, which in themselves sound rather boring, but they're what do it because we have very sensitive ears when it comes to language. So, for example, the sound e before an M or an N in most black people's speech is a little more like it. So some people are familiar with Southerners having this pen-pin merger, as linguists call it, where you talk about having a pin instead of a pen in your hand. That is something that's in black speech, too. And it's nothing as stark as saying pin for pen. Eh before an M or an N sounds a little more like it. And so somebody will say something like mention instead of mention. Not mention, but mention. Or temperature temperature instead of temperature. Another example is that the sound ah is a little bit more like ah. And so instead of hot, hot, not hat, but hot, the word word would sound more like word, not ward, not like that, but just ward. People were, people were, or something like a turtle instead of a turtle. Little things like that. It sounds so subtle. But the overall effect is not subtle at all. No, the overall effect of that is that you know that it's Chris Rock talking and not Jerry Seinfeld. It's those five or six things. Okay, we will return in just a moment. Lexicon Valley is brought to you by Blue Apron. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron will deliver all the ingredients you need to create a home-cooked meal. Fish tacos are probably in my top five all-time dishes, and this week you can make crispy fish tacos and chipotle cabbage slaw with fresh avocado and radish. Also on the menu, seared chicken and spring vegetable hash with new potatoes, asparagus, and lemon aioli. And unlike a restaurant or takeout meal, these and all dishes from Blue Apron are between 500 and 700 calories per portion, and they're specifically designed to take 40 minutes or less to prepare so you don't feel like dinner takes up two-thirds of your evening. Right now, you can get your first two meals for free at blueapron.com slash lexicon. One of those meals could be Greek pizza with spicy tomato sauce, Kalamata olives, and pea tips. That's blueapron.com slash lexicon. 
So, you know, John, as someone who was born and raised in America and has an ear for American voices, I find it convincing that there does exist, generally speaking, the black sound that you just characterized. I don't know that I would have been able to list those precise vowel shifts, but I recognize it. I hear it. But why does this black scent, as it's sometimes called, why does it exist at all? Well, the reason that black people have a different way of speaking than white people is because black English developed in a time of absolutely stark segregation, such that black people spoke a lot more to one another than they did to whites. Now, all language in all human mouths is at all times in a process of changing. Language never sits still. But if they're two different versions of a language that are going through those changes separately, then pretty soon they're going to sound somewhat different. Now, if that process goes on and on, then you get the difference between French and Spanish, both of which started as Latin. But if it just goes a little bit of a way, then you have a difference between, for example, word and word. And next thing you know, you have a very slightly different sound, but that slight difference is enough that you can pick up on it. Some of the things that tip you off that somebody is black are also southern white English. People are certainly going to notice that, for example, with the eh, eh business. But then there are other things that are local to black English, such that none of us would listen to Jeff Foxworthy and think that he was black. John, you say in your piece that despite your friends being all black kids when you were growing up in Philadelphia, and despite later living in an all black neighborhood in New Jersey, you came out, quote, sounding like an announcer in a 1940s newsreel. And by the way, guys, not only doesn't he have the black scent, he also doesn't have a Philadelphia accent, which I still have traces of having also grown up in the Philadelphia area. It's like you're just a complete outlier. I do have a little bit of Philadelphia in that I say water when I'm not thinking about it, but that is the only thing that tips anybody off that I'm from Philadelphia. I really don't know why I don't have the black scent, because it isn't that I didn't grow up around black people, which would be an easy explanation, and it isn't contrary to what some people might think that I don't like black people. I like them quite a bit. I have always known them, been close some to them. Some of your best but friends are black people. Your some parents are black people. Friends, <laughs> some of my best parents. And the truth is, I wrote the piece because I just wanted it to get out there that while, frankly, if only everybody had such problems, really, the problem mostly is with people who speak black English and get discriminated against. Those are the people who have the real problem. But the truth is, to not have the black sound when you're black is a social handicap. Yeah, you know, you say in your piece that you, quote, would like to be able to have a conversation with a black person of whatever social position without worrying that he thinks I don't sound black or that I think I'm better than him. I don't think I'm better than anybody and am quite aware that I am not white. In other words, you're suggesting that the very fact of your voice, the way you sound, makes you instantly unlikable to some black people. Oh, it does. It, it messes things up from the outset. It's something that you have to overcome. Now, I've been told by many black people who I've known for a while, they'll say, you know, John, when I first met you, I kind of thought you were stuck up or you didn't like us or something. And it turned out that wasn't true. But the fact is, that's what they thought in the beginning. And speech has a lot to do with it, because when I open my mouth, I don't have that complex of vowel sounds and inflections that immediately says home to a great many black American people. It's a tough one. It's just, you know, it's my burden to bear because there's no solution. You can't put on a very subtle accent. It would sound fake. 
And so you're just stuck with what you've got. But there is code switching. A lot of people find it very easy to go back to whatever their roots are when they're with people who, let's say, they grew up with. And you'll revert if you're from the South and have over the years expunged your Southern accent. When you go home to the folks, you kind of code switch and all of a sudden – you know, you're very chicken fried steak in your in your speech. <laughs> sure, if you learned it natively. Sure. If you grew up speaking those two dialects when your tongue and your throat were wrapping around sounds without you thinking about it. Well, I think what Bob is suggesting that maybe you should blacken up your sound when appropriate. I mean, is it crazy <laughs> or offensive to suggest that? No, it's not offensive and it's not crazy, but it is quite a tall order because we're not talking about using certain words. We're not talking about something like adopting grammatical constructions that you can imagine written out in your head. We're talking about learning an accent. And so in the same way as if you were 40 years old and suddenly you're told to master a French accent or a Russian accent or a Chinese accent, frankly, you can't. It's virtually impossible except for very talented mimics. It would be the same thing here and even harder in a way because we're talking about a light black sound. The subject of my piece was not the full-blown black sound that I think anybody understands has a certain connotation, but the fact that if you're listening to, say, NPR, you can generally tell that a person is black, even if they're just talking about the weather. It's that subtle kind of, I hate to put it this way, but coloring. That would be a tough thing to learn how to do consistently and convincingly. I've actually been trying it out since I wrote the piece, because I've gotten this suggestion on Facebook, trying to actually master these six and a half vowel sounds. It's a tough one. It's like being told to walk differently. Every time you hit an ah, make it ah. That's really hard. And, you know, I've got a life to live. I've got two kids. I've got a couple of careers. It's impossible to master something that subtle and keep it going. You know, John, there's a kind of irony for me in you being unable to code switch to sound more black, because it seems to me that many black people who sound black can code switch to sound more white, or at least put on a kind of mock white accent. I know a lot of black comedians do it. For example, Dave Chappelle has a number of routines in which he adopts a white character. My earliest memory of encountering this was with Richard Pryor. I love when white dudes get mad and cuss, Because right? you all some funny motherfuckers when you cuss. Right? They be saying shit like, yeah, come on, peckerhead. Come on, you fucking jerk off. Come on. Son of a bitch, come on. Fucking A right, buddy. So you've written before, John, about how black Americans have what you call a larger English than most white Americans. What does that mean, a larger English? What I mean by that is that most black Americans have various levels of speech. Most black Americans can speak standard English when called upon. And then there is the black English dialect. And people control it to various degrees. There are people who have only the sound system, but that enough can identify you with the community. Then there's also the grammar, which is what most people hear as mistakes, but which is really just an alternate system. And it ends up being a repertoire. 
And so many people in many countries have a language that's used in the news or a language that's used to make formal speeches, language that's used on paper, and then a whole different form of the language that's used for speech and might as well be a different language entirely. And so if you're in a place like Switzerland, the German that's on the news is really a different language from the German that you're going to turn and talk to somebody about the news in. They have a repertoire. Black Americans have a speech repertoire more like that than white Americans. It's a wonderful thing. Now, it's definitely true that most black people can speak standard English when called upon, but when they do it, usually they have this light black scent that I'm talking about and could not not have it. They could not sound identifiably white for long periods. A comedian can do a kind of cartoon Smithers sounding voice, and I did not have the pleasure of knowing Richard Pryor, but I'm not sure that he could sound white on the phone, not in a cartoony way for five minutes. That's because your phonology, your sound system is very deep seated. It's why accents are so hard to master. My problem, therefore, is the reverse. One might ask, well, why can't you put on a light black scent? I couldn't do that any more than the person who has good black English could sound perfectly white. So it's just a matter of human nature and the nature of sound and how we produce it. Okay, one more short break. Lexicon Valley is also brought to you this week by Headspace. So many of our problems stem from our mind, begin in our mind, but end up taking a heavy physical toll. Stress, anxiety, fear, depression. For millions of people, meditation, like exercise and like good sleep habits, is a routine way to reduce stress and reduce anxiety throughout the day. Right now, you can try the Take 10 program on Headspace. It's guided meditation for 10 days, just 10 minutes a day. You can do it online or on the Headspace app, and it is at no cost whatsoever when you sign up at headspace.com slash lexicon. 100% free, meditation made simple at headspace.com slash lexicon. I mentioned in the intro before you came on, John, the memorable Johnny Cochran line from the O.J. Simpson trial. He said that the idea that there is such a thing as sounding black or sounding white was racist. That was the word that he used. I don't know if it's racist exactly, but as evidenced by the fact that you and plenty of other black people don't sound the way many might expect, it is a generalization, right? It is a, a stereotype, I guess. And so as a stereotype, then... Is it, if not racist, at least pernicious? No, no. No, there's so many ways to answer that. That's a great fucking question. If I could just yeah, say, standing ovation for my co-host. Black America is a culture. A great many black Americans spend more time with one another than they do with white or other people. What that means is that we wouldn't expect that black people's speech would not have some traits local to it. We would never expect that a group of people spend more time with one another and feel more comfortable with one another and somehow talk exactly the way other people in the society talk. At least there's going to be a different sound. Now add to that the racist history of the country with segregation and the racism that still persists. And once again, the question would be why wouldn't there be a different sound. So the idea that there's a black way of sounding would only be racist if we were saying something bad about it, 
or if we were saying that people have a different sound just based on their appearance, but it had nothing to do with any kind of sociocultural separation or sociocultural adhesion. But with the way it is, you would expect there to be a black English. The only question would be why there wouldn't be. Add to that, however, that certainly it doesn't mean that everybody with a certain kind of pigment or genetic stamp has this black sound. There'd be no reason for that. This is a cultural phenomenon. And so there are plenty of black people who don't have a black scent. But it still can be a ticklish position to be in, given how race works in this country and how cultural fellowship operates for all human beings. When I heard um, Johnny Cochran say that thing in the OJ trial 25 years ago, I had exactly three thoughts. The first one I expressed to Mike earlier, which is that is some smart lawyering right there. I thought, oh, fuck, I'm racist. And the third thing I thought was, this is such PC bullshit. There is to black speech. How was white America supposed to process that exchange? Should we be liberated? Should we be guilt-stricken? what? I think that white America and black America need to be taught that it's perfectly natural for different social groups to have different ways of speaking. And that there's no reason that the descendants of African slaves would be an exception to that. And that therefore, one need not feel guilty to think that yes, there is a such thing as a black sounding voice. I remember that Cochrane comment. It's one of the things that got me thinking about this. And I remember thinking, for one thing, given how touchy people are about the notion of black voice, it was smart lawyering. I mean, he, he played them like a harp on that issue. And I, that is what his job was supposed to be. But it also got me thinking, okay, what, given that it's so obvious that there is a such thing as a black voice, I remember thinking with my linguist hat on, what creates it? It's around then that I actually started listening and trying to isolate what these vowel sounds were and started doing some research on what other people had noticed. Because it's plain as the nose is on our face that there is that sound. But we've got to get past this idea that there's something wrong with calling attention to it. I have a book coming out called Talking Back, Talking Black, which I wrote expressly to address all of America about black English in a way that I hope will get us past certain, one, biases, and two, misimpressions. And one of them is this whole idea that it's racist to say that there's a black way of speaking, because there is, and it's a wonderful way of speaking, and we need to celebrate it. Nobody walks around in Switzerland pretending that there's no such thing as Swiss German, we can't walk around pretending that there's no such thing as black English. Well, I'm really curious to hear what our listeners think of your piece. It's called Thick of Tongue, and it's in Guernica magazine. Give it a read. Let us know what you think. Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. Follow us on Twitter at Lexicon Valley, and please subscribe to our feed in the iTunes store. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts and Andy Bowers, the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. All right, Mikey, we done here? Yeah, I think we're done. Later, Gator. Gator.